Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the slightly nasal legendary Randy Erickson. This is week two of Yoga Slackers February. Uh, this week Dan runs us through some really interesting stuff about why he's an adventure racer and about his little breakdown, we'll call it during the world championships in ecuador this one ranks right up there with with some of the uh some of my favorite episodes so i think you're really going to enjoy this one uh, next week will be jason and chelsea so uh, that one's pretty interesting also and if you're listening to this in the next day or two uh, be watching uh, somewhere on, on, probably mostly on Facebook, but probably I'll tweet it out too. Uh, Maria Burton from Primal Quest is going to be on the podcast again. And if you have any questions for her, you can send them to me and she will be, be answering them d- during the podcast. So I think that'll be kind of interesting and um, really start uh, the uh, Primal Quest movement. I don't know, whatever it is. Hopefully, I'm, I'm really excited about the race coming back. It's not a World Series race, but it's, it is it is a race that a lot of people that aren't into the adventure racing know. So I think it can only be good for the sport, and I'm having fun with it. So that's that. Um, I guess I haven't said anything for a while, but, you know, somebody could go to iTunes and, and give me a like. Yeah, one. That's all I'm asking for. Uh, you can also follow me on the uh, on the podcast website if you want. I'm not sure what that gets you, but hey, it looks good for me for my followers. It's like anything in the media-driven culture. The more followers I have, the uh, better it looks when I ask people for stuff, or I say, "Hey, come on the podcast," because tens of hundreds of people listen, at least. Um, so there's that. You can always donate if you want. And uh, I really do appreciate everybody listening. And I really, above all, appreciate the people that will take some time to send a thank you or, you know, they really enjoy listening to it or things like that. So thank all of you for listening here in uh, your number two. We'll, we'll see how long this lasts. But I'm having a good time. I hope you are too. So. I think that's about it for this week. Um, enjoy the show. Go fast. Take chances. Howdy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, it was warm today, and now it's getting cold out, so I'm chilly, actually. Me and chilly just came in from our hike, so mm-hmm. it, was, it was a nice day here today, and now it's down to 16 degrees. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Are you yeah. in Dakota now? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's going to be 56 on Sunday, so yeah. I can live with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, I wish it were colder here. The mountain keeps melting out. So, but. you want to, You're one of those. Let's bring winter on so we can go skiing, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, I. It's it's the mixed bag that kills me. Where it where it gets nice nice powder on a on the snow day and then the next day it rains and it's warm and it's just like no i don't want it to go away 
I can I can understand that. I, you know, living here, you know, Paulette says it's a little strange because I don't particularly care for the cold or snow. Although yeah. if the if the sun's out, I'm fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Well, um, so what well, do you do, in South Dakota? <laughs> well, I grew up here, you know, yeah. and we've got you know we've got our house in the literally in the middle of the woods. Yeah. And, but we're still only 20 minutes from town, and it's like, you know, that's that's pretty sweet. <laughs> so. Yeah. For sure. But she keeps thinking we should have a winter place in Florida, so I bet you that happens pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so how's, how's a uh, fat season going as Kyle puts it? Oh man, we're, we're not doing fat season, uh, I guess. Um, no, I mean, we're, we're spending a lot more time in the gym, um, than we would. And we're training hard at that. So we, we, over the past couple of years have spent a lot of time in the PT, yeah. uh, office. And so that's, that's been a big part of, our down season now is just kind of preparing ourselves, making sure our bodies are in working order. Yeah, so getting the, all the core workout and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and making sure that our legs are firing properly and our shoulders are in working order. Um, paddling, paddling has been rough on my shoulders at times. So it's been an interesting game trying to make sure that they're healthy. Oh, that's kind of interesting. So, um, how did you get into this wonderful world of adventure racing? Well, my my high school teacher at High Tech High in San Diego, who happens to be my current teammate, uh, uh, had a had a race or a, a team of students that he was super excited about, and and I heard about this this sport and the way it was described to me is mountain biking, running around in the woods and paddling and never really stopping. And that, that seemed to me to be the, the best possible way to do any of those things. I hated paddling at the time, but I figured I'd get over it. So I, I was hooked before I even did my first one and we trained a whole bunch. I was 17 at the time. We went to our first 24 hour race and I had a great time. The team was, the teamwork was great. The seeing the sights and staying up all night was all great. And, and I was sore for a week at least and felt terrible, could barely walk upstairs and I was hooked. Yeah. What, what is it that hooks people so early? I mean, almost everybody does that. They do their first race and it's just like, you know, there's just something. Is it, do you have, do do you have a good answer? I think I think the answer is that it taps into something primal and we as humans are built to be able to do things like this whether that's something that we got as part of being human is possible but I think it's actually a much more base thing and I think all animals have this ability to do the extraordinary Mm-hmm. And and animals, the, the examples are you know far and wide where where they travel a great distance or or survive some impossible situation, and that drive that ability exists in all animals, yeah. and humans in our current civilization basically don't tap into that ever. 
they they spend their lives quite comfortable and they value convenience and comfort and pleasure and they don't ever get to feel this super primal instinctual place and so i think that that soldiers or explorers or people like that end up being there and experiencing that and that's probably one of the reasons why people miss those kinds of times in their mm -hmm. life and so adventure racing is that feeling that place in in your emotional state distilled and bottled up and and something you can plan to visit and then go visit and that's why i think it's very easy to forget how uncomfortable it can be at times because you're in a place that is really deep and really fulfilling yeah. and so, you don't have to shoot anybody well usually unless you <laughs> run into the moonshiners <laughs> um so do you race to f for that reason or do you do you race because you like racing or is it a combination absolutely it's a combination i i race because I enjoy all of the individual aspects and I enjoy the game of getting faster and I enjoy the camaraderie that you experience in these races. But I also do it because it allows me to explore parts of my humanity that otherwise would be impossible to explore. I think that the ability to go through that kind of experience mm -hmm. is helpful to me as a person. It informs my life in a, in a very real way. It's pretty easy to put kind of first world problems into context when you've had the experience of not being able to find drinkable water going for it anyway, and then paying for it for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Instead, instead of first world problems, you actually have third world problems. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you really have issues with the basics of food, water, shelter, and companionship. So, well, that is kind of what it comes down to on a team, isn't it, during a race? Those, those basic, mm -hmm. basic human needs. Exactly. So, exactly. But, um, so, how... So you started when you're 17. So I know it's not polite to ask how long ago was that. So how long have you been racing? I've I've been racing 10 or 11 years. 11. Um, so I've, yeah, I don't remember exactly when in the year I did it. Yeah. Um, but I'm turning 28 soon, so it's a, a round decade. Yeah. So do you think that you are getting close to understanding? what your body is going to do and your mind and your, and your fitness. I mean, it's been That's, 10 years, but it takes a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, every sport has a long path to being great at it, but I think adventure racing is unique that it really does take a very long time. I think the, the world champions right now have been doing it for over, way over a decade. And, and uh, I know that the Columbia guys have been doing this for 
combined, you know, between the four of them, probably 50 years or more. Um, so, you know, an average of 12 years of experience per, per person. Yeah. And so I personally know that every year, every race practically forever, I've unlocked new understanding and new abilities and new strengths and new weaknesses all along the way. So I don't think that that will stop anytime soon. And I, I think that when that stops is when I leave adventure racing or if that were to stop, I would leave the sport because the self discovery is a huge part of what makes it so interesting to me. Have the self discovery, have you ever had a, I guess for lack of a better term, a, an aha moment during a race, you know, something about yourself where you push through something or, or you've, you've almost felt, Oh God, I'm at a, I'm at a different level now. Well, there were, there were kind of two examples of that. One, one was in Belize when everything kind of clicked for us. This was a year ago yep. and we, we won hands down and had a great race and basically everything went right in that race. And when 95% of things are going right, the, the 5% that don't, you kind of forget about. So I'm sure there were things that we screwed up or things that we could have done better or whatever, but the vast majority of things just went smoothly, went well. And we kind of realized at that point that we had the makings of a world-class team. And at that time I was pretty dubious of that. I had a lot of (laughs) reservations and I, we'd been putting in years and years and years of work. And I was kind of looking at my career, my history, my whatever, and saying, well, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe I need to do something else, find some other, some other way to spend my time because adventure racing really cuts down on my, ability to take normal jobs and, and do the, the ordinary, uh, rat race kind of stuff, which yeah. is interesting. You know, it, I think it would be a lot of fun to take a, take a neat job at a cool company doing some project that's, that's way bigger than what an individual can do. And that's closed off to me until I stop adventure racing four or five expedition races a year. Because there's no, there's no company that is willing to grant me, you know, one every other one month of absence or leave every other month. So, so, so it occurred to me at that time that maybe this was the end of the road and it was fun road and I should explore the other things that I love to do. And then we went to Belize and had an amazing time and we realized how much better we could get still. And then I I committed to to keep doing it for another couple of years at least. Yeah. So that was that was a great moment for me realizing that we have something special and something worth continuing. Mm-hmm. And then this last this last couple months ago in Ecuador, I had a really intense moment or set of set of hours of moments in the jungle where. I went through something I can only really describe as acute onset depression, which probably had something to do with lack of sleep and all this stuff, but but it felt as if I had gotten Lyme disease or uh, what's the 
the virus that makes you tired. I can't remember the um, name. Gillian Bure. There's that. There's a whole Monsicleosis <laughs> or, is the one that yeah. I was thinking of. Okay. Like, I had some physical block. I was poisoned or something, and I, I was physically unable to move at the pace that I wanted to. It felt in retrospect, it's a, very similar to the way you feel in a dream when all your limbs are heavy and you can't move your body the way that you want to. Yeah. It was very similar to that, but I was awake. And I was so worried and so scared that this was this was just how I was going to be for the rest of the rest of the race. And it was really challenging fighting through that and figuring out what to do. It yeah. never happened to me. Uh, before and so that was that was really scary and pushing through it I gained a a lot of respect for people who have that kind of physical experience every day of their lives so the the crazy thing to me is how lucky we all are to have perfectly functioning brains most of the time and then to have an experience of what it is like when there's something mentally blocking you from from doing what you want to do and being how you want to be. I, I just that was one of the most profound experiences that I've had adventure racing. Oh. And fortunately it was, you know, ten hours and I fought <laughs> way through it brutally with the help of my team and, you know, it it pales in comparison to to some the experiences that I've heard from other people where where you feel like that with no way out for, for, I mean, months, years, decades. And I, again, that that was a a profound experience for me. So here's a question. When, when you were going through that, did you know you were going through it or was it? I call um, it, I call it the meta brain, the brain or the the thought that thinks about the thinking. mm -hmm. Uh, And that was, completely normal. I was able to think about how I was feeling and think about how I was doing and what was going on perfectly reasonably. So I had the internal monologue that felt very normal. And this was one of the things that made it extremely weird for my teammates because it wasn't that I was incoherent or um, obviously out of it It, because I, I... was able to express myself and tell them what I was feeling and try to figure out what was going on, which scared them because I guess they're more used to just, you know, babbling, babbling sleep deprivation and not clear, cogent, but useless sleep deprivation. So the, the thinking about what was happening to me was fully active and was part of what made it so scary. No, I can, I can, no, I, I'm, I can't imagine, but the, the dream analogy, I can, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. So yeah, yeah. I can see that. So did they just keep, what you guys just keep talking it out and then you think that brought yeah. you out or did you just, yeah, the, I mean, honestly, the, the thing that really worked and, and Jason and Chelsea and Eric were all supportive in as much of a possible way that they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric was carrying my pack and, and Jason was talking me through it. Chelsea was talking me through it. And at some point Jason did something very simple. He just said, okay, sit down, take a deep breath, think about what you're going to do 
and then just do it. So it's like I would sit down and, and focus on the way that I wanted to be and then meditated on that for five or 10 seconds and then started going. And then the first time he did that halfway through my kind of coming out of it, I got frustrated and, and people were, were frustrated with me and I kind of lost it. And then a couple hours later, I realized that that had been the only thing that had been effective so far. And so I asked him to do that again and just walk me through like the guided meditation kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so he did that and I, I went, went through that and, and kind of figured it out at that moment. And then it was, it was a, a downhill thing from there. Because as I became more physical and, and forcing my body to do what it didn't want to do and forcing my mind to do what it didn't want to do, yeah. the whole thing kind of unraveled as, as I forced through it, basically. Um, so that was, that was the thing that really was effective, was this kind of meditation, which you know is fitting for the yoga slackers. Uh, I thought that was quite funny yeah. after, afterwards. After, yeah. <laughs> So, um, and, and obviously it, it had to have been a big thing to rip cause you know, you guys been teammates for 10 years. So Mm -hmm. you you had that support system. Yeah. And it's interesting. One of the, one of the things, one of the roles that is most important for me is that my job is to never have that happen to me and Mm -hmm. get other people through that when it happens to them. And having seen people go through that and help them through it, I was totally unprepared for dealing with it myself. And it's kind of been interesting over the past couple of years, my roles have had to shift because the team has just gotten so much faster. Yeah. So I used to never bonk. I used to have enough energy to do the video and, and run around and do all the things. And then I started navigating more. I started being a more active role and everybody else, basically Jason and Chelsea started training really hard and, and they're all, they're all extremely fast now. And so I don't really have this, uh, basic advantage anymore. And so I, I, I no longer get to play fast and loose with nutrition and I have to stay much more on top of, of my game than I used to, which is great. I mean, that's, that's, that's what happens. That's the, that, well, that's the point where you're at. It's, I mean, yeah. you get, you know, Eric and I talked a little bit about this, but you guys are right there to the point where, you know, if you have, if you have the good race, you're going to be, you know, you're as, you're as good as any other team now, I think in the world. And it's just, well, you know, you've, that's kind of you. Well, I mean, it is. And, and quite honestly, to me, it's the physical part is, you know, you're all the same. It, mm-hmm. It's, I think it's the mental, it's the teamwork, it's the little, the little breaks that you get, you know, it's, it's like Seagate getting in with the tide at the last paddle and, and mm-hmm. uh, Columbia getting in at low tide with no, you know, it's those little things right. that's, right. you know, you're right there. That's what's, you know, that's what the separation is to me now. Well, it's, it's interesting because there, the, the, the funny thing with adventure racing is the differences between the teams are so easily explained by the kinds of things that you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the tide, oh, the penalty, oh, the nav choice, oh, the nutrition screw up or like all these things. 
And yet there is the, the luck aspect, which you can so easily say, well, okay, well, we lost this much time to this, that much time to that, blah, blah, time to this. Oh, if we hadn't done all those things, we would have beaten Seagate. Yeah. And then the question is, why do these things happen always to us and never to Seagate? Or how the, the better question, I guess, is what makes it not cost Seagate a lot of time? So the, yeah. the answer, I don't really know yet, totally, or, you know, I would have licked this problem already. <laughs> but, but I mean, the, the, the only answer that I can give is that it's, it's absolutely what you're talking about. It's teamwork. It's ability to recognize problems early. It's the ability to think on your feet and figure out resolutions for the problems uh, and try not to dig yourself in to, yeah. to recognize problems and, and fix them as opposed to making them worse, which is something that we're all pretty familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things can tend to go downhill in a hurry if you're not careful. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So Here's... A, a question I think um, that I just I want to know because uh, my philosophy, my theory is anytime you ever see a team doing something different than anybody else it's yoga slackers <laughs> <laughs> well just trust me that's my theory I'm sticking to it but has there ever been a time when you guys have been doing something and you're like really do you think we should maybe we should take a little more conservative or can you just go with it? Well, the the thought of do the conservative thing is honestly always there when yeah. we're when we're taking the not conservative line. Yeah. And the most recent example was right off the bat in Ecuador, we decided to take a more what we thought was the right way up and over a mountain pass, but it turned out that Jason was basically reading the map with the wrong scale. So mm. he was used to one to 24,000 or whatever, and was looking at a one to 50,000 with bad contour lines and kind of mapped the wrong bits of land to the wrong bits. And so we took the slower way around some Hills. Um, and it probably didn't cost us very much, but at the time everybody was like, well, why are we going this other way? And then the answer was, well, we did see another team this way. And we just have to follow our own thing because we don't really know that everybody else is going the right way. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. it's a challenge, you know. Sometimes sometimes the herd knows what's right, and sometimes the herd has no idea what to do, or is totally wrong. And yeah. well, how yeah. hard how hard is that? Would so okay? You're going to go around the mountain, and you think that's good, but you see 40 other teams going this other way. I mean, obviously you guys all have faith in each other and trust and, and, but do you sometimes look and say, or do you say, are you sure? Cause everybody else is going that way. Well, in this particular case, it wasn't 40 teams. It okay. was three other teams and they all exited the road at different points. So it was like yeah. one team went and then another team went and then we're like, okay, we just need to turn left up there. And then by then, you know, it was it was slightly too far. Um, and so it, it it really wasn't a 
everybody's going left and we go right. It was much more subtle than that. Okay. And I don't think we would have fallen for it if it had been, if we had been back five places, we would have, you know, seen the pattern that they were all going up and over the, the one pass as opposed to the other. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in, in that case, it was a more difficult call than it seems, but absolutely, you know, why, and, and a lot of the, the Eric and Chelsea were both quite frustrated that we had taken the route that we did in the end, once it was clear that it was not the right way. Um, so, but it's, it's hard because on the map, it shows a, a trail and we followed trail the whole way and everybody else jumped ship to find the other trail that didn't really connect in the right way. And so the, the map quality in, in Ecuador was very interesting and, <laughs> and caused, caused many a problem. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the funniest one was where in a trek in the middle of it, there were aqueducts all over the place. And so they were marked on the map as looking like rivers and as orienteers, you're basically trained to say river is bottom of valley. There's never a river that follows the side of the valley mm-hmm. a thousand feet above the bottom of the valley. It's just that's not that's not a thing that happens unless a lot of humans try very hard to make that happen. So that was that was pretty funny. At least a couple of teams made that mistake, and we did as well, where we were just like, oh, we just have to get down to the valley or down to the, the, the river and then cross it and go up the trail on the other side. And we just basically misread the map and saw these, these aqueducts and read them as the bottom of the valley. Um, because that's usually a pretty reasonable assumption that the water is going to be at the bottom. But in this case, and the worst part was the, the aqueducts were actually subterranean. Like they were, they were water pipelines They were not even surface water. So we didn't actually even cross some water and then say, oh, this is obviously, oops, this is the thing. We need to figure it out. We all just walked right over and and then the altimeters are saying the wrong thing and it doesn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. And then four hours later, you're like, wow, that was really stupid. Uh, (laughs) But, But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, you just keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, What... You know, couple couple of world championship things, and then we'll we'll move on a little bit. But what's the one thing that really surprised you, or you were unprepared for in Ecuador? If the anything? mud, the mud was the only thing that that we were totally unprepared for. the The final trek, uh, we were not expecting it to look the way that it did. The rest of it, we had just raced Costa Rica the year before, and we had spent three weeks acclimatizing to the to the highlands. And so there wasn't really anything in the highlands or or in the jungle that was was super surprising. Even even in the first couple of treks or the first couple of bikes, there were sections of mud, and it's like, yeah, it's totally, this is the jungle. There's mud everywhere. And then to have the the last trek basically go through. 10 or 15 kilometers of uninterrupted waist deep or shin deep to thigh deep mud was a complete shock. And we had 
we had not mentally prepared for that at all. Yeah. And that was really the only example of that. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I've been looking, you know, you get back and you look at everybody's pictures and you look at videos and, you know, I didn't, luckily, didn't get a chance to be out in that mud, but <laughs> I, I still don't think, I mean, I, I sort of understand, but I don't think people really understand how bad it was. I mean, it really was what you said, 15K of knee-deep mud. Yeah, I mean, step, right? it, it, it caused me to go insane <laughs> in every sense of that word. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's <laughs> that that did it. That, I now know that that was my limit. And, you know, that's – so it was cool from that perspective. Yeah. But, but from, definitely surprised. Okay. It's, it's, it's the um, – as I call it, the John Krakauer formula, because many years ago he went to climb the Eiger and he was with a young kid, and the kid wanted to climb the Eiger, and John Krakauer wanted to have climbed the Eiger. So uh -huh. he, you wanted to have done the mud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, what has there ever been a time in a race where you thought? No, this is just just too dangerous. We're we're something's not right here because this this is this is bad, and I don't want to be here. I mean, from a not from a miserable point of view, but from actually being dangerous. The only real example that comes to mind is when we were in Patagonia two year three years ago. Mm -hmm. And we went off route and decided to take a couple of mountain passes to save 20 kilometers of, of hiking. So we took a, a shortcut that was on the order of five kilometers long instead of going around through a dense bushwhacky valley that was more like 30 kilometers long because me and me and the teammate Paul Cassidy had horrifying amounts of tendonitis and every step was terrible pain and so if we could skip 20 kilometers of step and and hike instead five it didn't really matter where those steps were that was going to be better so we kind of went up this valley and and navigated our way through with a classic uh terrible maps that are characteristic of the patagonia race yeah. and we found ourselves side hilling on a on a glacial region where the the snow was probably at 45 degrees with tennis shoes no ice axes and plastic tipped trekking poles so we had no reasonable way to do anything remotely close to snow travel so i was kind of kicking steps with my innovate 212s into this glacial basically the the snowfield leading to a glacier and one in 10 steps would blow out and i would have to remake that but it was just like it was quite scary because there was no real way to to exit at that point yeah. so we decided to to continue on because the way forward was less risky than trying to retrace our steps yeah. Because going up is very often 
safer than going down depending on the the kind of conditions that were happening yeah and we ended up making it through obviously um fortunately that was <laughs> what's that fortunately <laughs> yeah otherwise i wouldn't have anybody to talk to tonight <laughs> no no that was that was the most dangerous yeah. time i suspect on on an objective actual danger kind of place level yeah so yeah let them um Okay, well, that that may be, this may be the same question or the same answer, but um, what's the best and worst six hours you've ever had racing? Best and worst. Yeah. Hmm. Best is kind of hard. It's it's because there's a lot. The reason I do adventure racing is because there's so much I like about it. Mm-hmm. So there's great mountain biking that I've done in adventure racing. There's phenomenal paddles. Uh, that that are are really stand out in my mind, and the if I were to pick something that was simultaneously the best and worst, it would have to be the mangrove paddle of the 2013 World Championships. Yeah. The paddle yeah. ended up being for us a 32 hour ordeal where we ran out of water 16 hours in, and so we had 16 hours of paddling with basically no water in, in the heat of what you would expect in a mangrove swamp in Costa Rica. And it was, it was spectacularly beautiful, incredibly neat navigation and, and fun paddling, despite the fact that we were in horrible barges that were difficult to steer and, and were by all accounts, just terrible boats, Mm -hmm. but it was standing, it stands out, for both of those things, it was it was unbelievably trying and and horrible, but it was also incredibly beautiful. Yeah, it's a kind of a typical adventure racer, though. Yeah, the best and the worst can be the same things, or yeah. or they they can people can come up with the worst moment. That's the first thing they think of, and then the best mm-hmm. one is. But it's uh, that. And, I mean, I can, you know, I don't know how many thousands of bike rides I did in this. The most yeah. most memorable ones are the ones that were the most miserable. So yeah, actually now now that I think about it, the first time we did Idaho when when Chelsea dropped out in the first two hours, yeah, me and Jason Magnus and Andy Magnus raced for the rest of the race basically, and there was a section where you only had to send one person to the top of this mountain to collect a checkpoint at the top, yeah, and I was I volunteered for that because I was feeling the best, and I ran up this 2,500 foot mountain, probably with a faster ascension rate than I've ever had under any circumstances. And it was you know in the middle of a race, and I basically sprinted up this thing, and I made it to the top as the sun was setting, and it was this heavenly experience of emerging to the top of this entirely tree free and gorgeous peak to, to watch the sunset over, over the Idaho wilderness. And it was just spectacular. And it was a wonderful moment. I was high as a kite on endorphins or whatever it is and collected the checkpoint and then raced down the mountain. And it was, that was phenomenal. That was one of the most pleasurable times 
Um, I, I think I know the answer to this. Who's, who's the toughest person on the team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, mostly because that role changes. So I don't think there is a person who is objectively the toughest. I mean, Chelsea has dragged me up hills, towing me uh, on foot. Um, you know, Jason has, has led us fearlessly through horrifying bushwhacking sections and, and, um, I'm sure they would say the same with me, yeah. but that, that's my non answer. Okay. <laughs> I still, I still have my thoughts and after we, and after we get this, get all these done, we'll see, maybe we'll have a little poll and people can. We'll ask people who the toughest guy is. I don't even want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I look at you guys as a real team. And not to say that Tech New, Columbia are not real teams, but for some reason, you guys, to me, really define what a team is. In. And I, I guess there's not just a question there. That's just yeah something that yeah. I think I, the the interesting difference in approach is what strikes me as different about us. It's been a very slow road adding people to our team. Yeah, and we've been extremely committed to the people who we have added. So for a long time, it was just Jason and I, and then we kind of almost gave up on adventure racing because it was so difficult to find team members. And then Jason met Chelsea and we raced with her basically as a, as a threesome for many, many years until we found Eric and have we've, we've subsequently found um, some other phenomenal teammates that we're starting to introduce. But the, the amount of time that we give individuals is unique. Like we, we let people kind of screw up and, and keep trying and, and because what we're really trying to do is figure out how well we all can do as, as a team. And so we're not really interested in saying, well, you know, Jason's weakness is when he's sleepy, he makes bad decisions. So we need to find a new captain or we don't say, well, Dan's great except when he eats wrong, which is every other race. So let's find somebody else or, Chelsea, you know, she is great when the going's good, but when it's bad, she, you know, doesn't have a, you know, she, she doesn't enjoy it as much. So we're out with her. So we're much more interested in the long game than the short game. Yeah. We're not interested in solving the problems by eliminating the problems. We actually want to figure them out because the, the process is so much more interesting like if we were to randomly be handed, you know, the perfect teammate that made it all work, it would be a really unsatisfying answer because it would just be, well, there's some magic in that person that makes it all work. Whereas the way that we've kind of done it, we have more of a reproducible pattern. We kind of understand the things that are important. We understand the things that are not important. And that has not been super useful, that knowledge, but we're starting to do adventure race training camps where that kind of information is actually a lot more valuable than, Oh, just, you know, keep cycling through people until you find the right mix, you know, cause yeah. that's, you know, that, that doesn't really answer the question. 
and and the questions and the processes and the the journey is just so much more interesting at least to me and and I'm sure to Jason and Chelsea and and maybe to Eric I don't actually know we haven't had that conversation yeah well I mean it has to be the journey cuz nobody's getting rich doing this nobody's making a, <laughs> nobody's making a living doing this <laughs> yeah so, yeah so. it's true um, all right. There, here's the history portion of the of the podcast. Is there a race and or a team back in the day? What and you can define when the day is that you would have liked to have raced with. Mm. I I would I would love to kind of see the. There was an old eco challenge. I. I think it was in New Zealand, but I don't remember exactly where there was a, a battle between the Americans and the New Zealanders mm. or the Kiwis, where it was a, a battle of, I mean, I, I don't want to say brains versus brawn, but that's kind of the, the easiest analogy to yeah. make. Mm-hmm. And I, I really would have loved to, to be on either team, honestly, to, yeah. to see because that was a very that was a defining moment in how sleep is handled in expedition races and that would have been that would have been really cool to to watch and see and experience more so to me than any other particular moment yeah yeah no i think i i know what you mean it would, it would be fun yeah just fun to relive some of those little things yeah um okay here's okay ADD time. <laughs> um, what do you think of mandatory sleep breaks in races? Yes, no. Do you have a way you'd like to do it? Yeah. If I, you have to, or I think that they're they are they they are an element of strategy. They they play an important role, and. Once the rules are set, I don't see much reason in questioning them or arguing about whether or not they're the right rules because part of what makes adventure racing so interesting is having to adapt to the current the current conditions. And one of those conditions is what are the rules? And so to me, I'm super happy that the, the rules were the way they were for sleep in Ecuador. Yeah. Um, if I were to have put on that race, I doubt that that would be the way that I would have structured it. Yeah. I don't think that if if or when we are designing courses, we'll ever add uh, mandatory sleep in that form. Yeah. I think there's a lot of race organizational details that should be made or can be made or, or, or are good when they're put in the context of they make the race more reportable or more followable or more enjoyable. But I think saying you need to sleep at this place at this time is an unnecessary one. So to yeah. me, to me, when I, when, I mean, we'll be putting on the expedition Oregon in a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. And my suspicion is there will not be mandatory sleep breaks. So, yeah, I mean, my sense in talking to people is is the four hours in Costa Rica was much more acceptable than 
two hours here, two hours there to get eight hours in, in mm-hmm. Ecuador. I, I don't think you'll see that two hours thing again. <laughs> yeah. Know, would be I mean, my guess. To the the thing for me is honestly if they if the race organizers liked it for some reason, yeah. then you know, and I, I have no idea what that reason would be because I don't I don't see that as being an important thing. But if they if they see that as being important, power to them. You know, whatever whatever the rules are are the rules. So that's that's how I kind of see it. I enjoy coming and experiencing ways of racing that I wouldn't do under my own devices. Yeah, yeah. So well, that, it, that's one of them. Yeah, and I mean that's the one thing is you don't want adventure races to all be the same exactly yeah so yeah you know what and people try things and all right mm-hmm. well this one didn't work let's not do that again <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll do another one um just just a couple more things which i always say and then i have a whole bunch more things but do you have a piece of gear something that you absolutely have to take with you love to have need covet want can't go racing without gear not really okay um i mean i there's a lot of pieces of gear that i love yeah. i love uh, our ultralight shells hmm. the the waterproof shells that we have are amazing um the montane three layer event ultralights are you know, second to none and they're fantastic, but would I not race because I only had, you know, some other waterproof shell, not unless it was Patagonia, in which case, you know, I'm quite picky about that sort of thing. Yeah. I love my bike, you know, having a, having a hardtail that, that is super durable and light and wonderful and fast is, is great. You know, I would, I would, I would not go to a, do a race without my Ellsworth hardtail, you know, unless that company didn't exist or I didn't have it, or I had some other really nice hardtail that I also <laughs> loved. So it's, it, you know, yeah. not really. Okay. Some, I mean, actually there are a few people that do and they're like, like what? Um, wow. Now I got to answer the question. Somebody, <laughs> and, and I don't remember who it is, but they, but they had a shell. That they've mm-hmm. had for who knows how many years, and it's like not going. If that, if I, that's got to yeah. go. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, things like that. Wool, wool base layers, man. Yeah. Mer- Merino wool base layers are. I I probably would not do an expedition race without an ibex base layer. Yeah. Just because by the end of it, you're just so stinky otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, we've. We've been getting into some of that stuff. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Oh, man. With it. Yeah, and it's cool. You know, you finish a race and the stinkiest thing is the 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 piece of crap jersey that they gave you. <laughs> all of your base layers just smell fine, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. um, how, long, how long does it take you to get your hands clean after a race, expedition race? Oh, I mean, that kind of depends on what what your standard of cleanliness is yeah okay. like the dirt under my fingernails lasts for probably two or three weeks yeah so. and uh and i've had thorns pop out of me three months after a race 
So yeah, it's, it it takes a while. It's it's for if people that don't do expedition races, it, it's amazing how filthy we all are. You all are. Sometimes yeah. I get to, uh, at least a cold shower. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. I promise. I'm getting close. No ten years. Ten years. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> ten years of racing. What's the best innovation in the last ten years? The most improved thing. Honestly, hydration for me. Um, the the longest time I kind of stuck with the the standard noon or emergency or or endura lights or all that stuff and the 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 hard thing with all of those things is they all have some kind of taste Mm -hmm. and so for me switching to basically a completely flavorless uh electrolyte that i can stick in my water is you know the the single most important change followed closely by, you know, making my own, um, endurance formula. Um, those two things are, are the biggest changes for me. Uh, So do you, so you make your own, so do you rely on that or real food or both? um, Depending on the race. Hmm. So for anything under eight hours, I, I will exclusively eat maltodextrin and protein powder and no, like nothing else, no goos, no gels, no bars, no anything. Um, for, for Ecuador, I think a third or so of my calories came from, from that endurance blend of, of maltodextrin and protein. Um, it probably could have been a little bit higher. And then, and then, you know, bars and goos and gels and whatever. Um, so it kind of depends on the length of the race and the longer, the more variety and the shorter, the more I stick to the stick to my guns. Yeah. I understand that. So what's, uh, what's on your schedule for the rest of the, for the rest of this year? What's on your schedule for this year? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're going to Alaska. We're going, I think to the Florida, extreme and we're going to worlds and we're going to send a squad. I'm probably not going to go to Wyoming, the cowboy tough, Uh, the, the, the B squad race, um, which may or may not be B squad material this year. Um, But yeah, that's going to be interesting to see what it's like this year. Yeah, it was, it was really funny this last year to have, Columbia B squad versus, um, tech B squad versus yoga slackers B squad. Yeah. That was, that was quite fun. Actually. We had a great time. Um, <laughs> that was, that was really quite something. I, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was. So, yeah. um, so, well, I just, just so you know, you and Eric have the same answer for races. So apparently you have some communication skills. That's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> We recently got a um, got a team manager, and she set up a base camp and is managing our sponsors and keeping us all in line. and And uh, we all are super appreciative that we now have a mommy who we can call with questions. Um, it's, I mean, okay. How how much time do you spend 
on adventure racing that's not training. Because I you, spend a lot of time with Paul Atner team and, and mm-hmm. you know, so I think that's that's the hidden hard part. Yeah, this is this is something that we're starting to kind of talk more about as a team. But up until very recently, all of that was done by Jason. Mm. Um, when Chelsea has been taking more and more of a role, she's probably done the most out of any of us last year. And so this year we're trying to figure out a more equitable way of solving this. We're going after local sponsors. And and um, the problem is to to keep a united front with mm-hmm. sponsors and with with all the relationships, it helps to basically have only one person that does all that stuff. Yeah. But that's yeah. really hard for that one person because, you know, they're like, if you're lucky, you get a couple grand out of some company and – you know, you spend a ton of time doing that. And yeah. so it's kind of, it's a, a difficult position to put one person in. So we're, we're trying to figure out how to make it more equitable. But for me, I have done basically nothing other than race and train and, uh, and help them with their adventure race, you know, help with bend racing, which is yeah. not really our team at all, but it's, you know, our fun, our fun local side project. Yeah. You're, you're uh, which, give, give back. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a ton of fun. And even that is, is like, I, I help them do the website and I help put on the course and, and uh, all of that. But like, I don't help Jason um, submit the course to the, to the, the um, forest service or whatever. So yeah. I, I am basically a freeloader. I've just been here for a long time and they like me. So that's, so that's good. Yeah. Um, hey, I, you know, I put up with some shit too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, you know, every adventure racers had their, their shit storm story, story, it's, right? It's, so. it's great. I love it. Yeah. So cool. Okay. One last question. And this is the hard one. And hopefully you get it right. Mm hmm. So if you start packing, you know, six weeks, two weeks, a month before the race, whatever, are you still packing the night before you leave? Yeah, which is part of the reason why I rarely do much packing yeah. very far out. <laughs> so, okay, um, that is the correct answer. So, yeah, it's it, it's one. Uh, there's been one outlier because Mark Latanzi says no because he's got a bag of stuff all ready to go for that yeah. last night. <laughs> yeah. I keep trying to do that, but um, it never quite works out. No, it it just yeah. I've given up trying. It's like get everything ready you can, and just realize that that's what you're going to be doing. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cool. This is um, cool. Yeah. It's that's been a good one. I, uh, yeah. My yeah. my first insane person. Even I'm, if was, oh, even I'm if was insane person. Yeah, that's yeah. good. <laughs> Even if it was just for a little bit of a time. So that's, yeah. that makes it better. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. I always close by telling people to go fast, take chances and, and, uh, train hard. Oh, okay. One more question. Now yeah. close. Are you would in excluding gym time and, and this type of stuff, are you, a, as I put it, a heart rate guy or a, let's see what's over the next Ridge guy when you go training? Um, 
I, I would say a happy mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, we try to have both kinds of trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I just went for a, a hard mountain bike ride where I was focused on heart rate and, and intensity, but over the weekend we went out and we're scouting some of our race course for this last year. And, you know, we got stuck in, you know, two foot deep snow and pushed our bikes through the snow for two hours and navigated around and got not really lost, but, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to move in the right direction. And, <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. I, I like both. So sure. I do both. So, well, cool. Well, thanks for, Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. It's fun. We got two down and two to go now. So <laughs> right on. And then I'm gonna draw straws to see how who gets posted first. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Right on. It's great. Okay. To talk we'll talk to, to you later. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. I'm up on the wire. One side's ice and one is fire It's a circus game with you and me I'm up on a tightrope One side's hate and one is hope But the top hat on my head is all you see And the wire seems to be the only place for me Whereas I'm falling Like a rubber neck giraffe You look into my past Well, maybe you're just too blind to see I'm up in the spotlight Oh, does it feel right? Well, the altitude seems to get to me I'm up on a tight wire Playing by life and the funeral pyre Putting on a show for you to see See, I'm up in the spotlight. Oh, does it feel right? Well, the altitude really gets to me. I'm up on the tight white, flanked by life and the funeral pile. But I ain't